What's up, friends? Adam Nitty here again. We've got an extra special guest with us today, Jason Palmer, the drummer on my new album, The World is Loud, as well as, as several other of, of my tunes and earlier releases as well. Jason hails from uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, which turns out to be this hotbed of, of uh, genius musical talent I wasn't even aware of until until years ago. And, and um, we've gotten to work together in a bunch of different contexts. Um, Jason is a, is a part of the Renaissance Men Band. We, we, we play along with uh, Chris Carver on, on keyboards, Scott Bernard on guitar. And uh, we've done and we've done all kinds of clinics and gigs and all kinds of stuff. But uh, yeah. man, thank you so much for doing this. It's it's so great to have you here. And and um, man, you're just one of my favorite people. We've we've become fast fast friends over the years. We have so much uh, so much in common. You know, we have lots of great great conversations. Um, you need to get uh, out more. I, <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. Uh, <laughs> but um, man. We we didn't really get connected until until what it was it was a Chris Carver project right that initially Carver brought us Bob. brought us together. Yeah, you reached out years ago and and y'all had me come down and play on some stuff. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, I mean, he hired you for the session. It was in Rienzi at a studio called the Lodge. Ah, uh, that's in. right, out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I would have loved to have been in the car with you when you were driving. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure what my fate would be that day. Yeah, you had to be a little bit concerned. <laughs> but, but I remember when you walked in the studio, I was like, all right, this is legit. Man, so, yeah, so those of you that, that don't know, this this is a studio owned by um, the amazing David Duncan, a uh, mutual friend of ours, um, amazing guitarist, uh songwriter now a worship leader as well right isn't he doing yeah. some amazing music at his at his church and he has this he's got this incredible freestanding studio build in the middle of nowhere and man that was a wonderful place to record in yeah it was fantastic and uh you know you didn't know any of us i mean you didn't really know how we played how well we played and i thought we we captured some great moments Man, we sure did and and we also had the great uh brent mason right on that stuff That's as right. well wasn't he a part yeah. of those, those first sessions and he was so so both brent and i came down from from nashville and and um man i i i can tell you that uh confident or what uh, apart from you guys I, I remember speaking to to brent after some of the tracking had gone down we were we were both out outside and we were both like, man, these dudes are amazing. Did you know about these? No, I didn't. Did you know about? No, no. And so, uh, so yeah, that was that was beginning of an awesome um, working relationship amongst all of us and, and friendship as well. And yeah, and um, man, you have you have this uncanny ability to. Man, you can play anything. I guess that's it's it's just as simple as that. I, every time. I think that I've heard you do what you do, you know, across different genres. Then you throw something out there groove wise or beat wise on a song. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, is there a genre this guy can't play? Um, you know, straight ahead jazz, hip hop, funk, um, 
rock. I mean, yeah, it's uh, how, where did you get your versatility from? I mean, is you know, I appreciate you saying that, first of all. And don't um, just tell me you practiced because everybody says that. <laughs> you know, you know I, I think back because I've watched some of the other interviews you've done with guys about this record. And, you know, I think a lot of it goes, my dad was a drummer, by the way. Um, and so, you know, was, that was back during the day of vinyl. And there were, there were always records around my house. But the majority of them were James Brown. Uh, Chuck Brown, the Soul Searchers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Stevie Wonder, Average White Band. <clears throat> but there was one rock record in there, and it was Led Zeppelin II. Ooh, that's, is, that's my favorite Zeppelin album. I mean, a lot of love. I mean, come on. Man. You know, it, it's, it's rock, but it was nasty fucking. I mean, it just, John Bonham's playing on that just knocked me out. I never did really, you know, latch on to like, to be a true rock drummer. I was in rock bands, you know, in high school. But, you know, my, my thing has always been groove and pocket. I mean, that's that's what, you know, I've tried to learn. Now, I really didn't play that many styles until I moved to Los Angeles in 1990. and mm. went to a school at their Musicians Institute. Yeah, yeah. I was exposed to a ton of different styles um i don't know you know i think it comes down to my my ears you know i i, I don't i would never say that i can speak a 100 percent authentic straight ahead jazz i can't speak the language of uh, authentic you know afro-cuban or brazilian stuff but i can i can fake it fairly well yeah you know, i just i guess that's the answer i, I don't know man that yeah and and um Sometimes that's all it takes, right? You know, you have to, I think you have to have legitimate experience, um, you know, executing things like like that, even if you aren't a self-proclaimed expert in, in different genres, to have enough of the mature listening skills and to be to be enough of a sponge to pick up enough of those things to sort of fall into place in, in, an, in an authentic way. Um, it's it's worth its weight in, in gold. And um, man, I can think of a bunch of times where I've had to kind of, I've been in musical situations that were slightly outside of my comfort zone. And I really had to, in that moment, think about, okay, what's a song reference? You know, what's a band reference? I, how can, I want to, I want to hear that to help me get closer to what this this uh, this musician or, or set of musicians wants. And a, a lot of times there's the, the sincerity of trying to match that based on your listening experience. A lot of times that, that will convey um, enough of the feel for it to, to not really suffer any compromise whatsoever, right? I mean, it's, yes. it's about being adaptable. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, a big part of my learning when I was in when I was going to school in Los Angeles, especially in genres like big band and Latin and some of the fusion stuff, is I got instant feedback from my instructors. No, don't do that. <laughs> you know, don't. Uh, I can remember Efren Toro was my Latin uh, instructor, and you know, there's a lot of, of traditional rules and stuff that you just don't do as a drummer in Latin music. And it didn't take too many too many corrections for me to to you know learn that and, and remember it. Now you know 
taking it beyond just being able to hold, you know, a Mozambique down or a, or a Samba down, you know, going beyond that would have taken a lot more practice for me. Yeah. And, I, and I did that while I was out there. And I got a chance to, to play with some bands that were playing that kind of music. See, here in Tupelo, Mississippi, before I moved out there, I didn't have any any real reason to really study that stuff and, and become, you know, adept at it because I would never have a chance to play any of that stuff really here. Yeah. But out there, it really did, it really did. You know, it's funny, Efren, uh, my Latin instructor, I remember one day after class, I had been, uh, we would get up in front of the class and play with some pro players and he would evaluate our playing. And I, I had, I'd gotten decent at, at a lot of the Latin grooves and he, he came up to me after one of the classes and he was like, you're from Mississippi, right? And I said, yeah. He said, how are you, how have you learned this stuff? I mean, he said, you know, your, your groove is right where it needs to be in, in these styles. How, how have you done that? And I, I guess it's from listening, I guess. I yeah. mean, you know, and, and of course, practicing some. Yeah. You say that, but but really, it's being able to be in a situation with with four or five other guys that are authentic in that language. Yeah, yeah, and with, yeah. yeah and that's feel, great um, point. Yeah, I uh, when I lived in Atlanta, um, I was playing in this in this uh, Latin band. It was called Vecinos um, del Mundo, led by um, an incredible musician named Jerry Fields, and it was that situation. It was me, the, um, this, the sort of, uh, you know, wet, wet behind the ears, bass player sort of coming into a situation with, you know, legit players, legit, uh, students and educators of, of the style and man, what an education it was. Um, you know, just the fact that they kind of, you know, took me in and, and uh, recognized my, you know, my desire to really want to, you know, serve the music and, and play it well, you know, meant, meant a whole lot to me that they had enough confidence, but, you know, I mean, I, I certainly was not well-versed in that music before stepping into, you know, that, that situation. And, you know, I, it, at the end of the day, if, if you don't, if you don't learn from these less familiar situations or brand new situations, I mean, it, it doesn't really help you, right? You got to be able to take right. something from it. Right. But, um, but, you know, I've, I've been in that position, you know, outside of my comfort zone, if you will, you know, many times in, in my, in my past. And, you know, when you're, when you're a, when you're an aspiring player trying to, you know, find, you find your identity, and your voice, but at the same time, be versatile enough to be able to play with a variety of musicians and, you know, have people want to, want to play with you. Um, you can't just think inside your head. You gotta, you gotta get outside of it and try to listen as somebody else might listen. It, you know, that's, that's another thing that uh, I would, I would say, but, but yeah, man, you're, you have an uncanny uh, ability to, to, to adapt and, and, you know, people sometimes take for granted. It's like, you know, musicians, they, they get on stage or they get in the recording studio and they, and they play together. And so it just automatically meshes and gels. That's not always the case. It really does depend on, it depends on listening. If you don't listen in a conversation, 
how are you going to have you know a a a, a two way dialogue? You know, music right. being the, the great language analogy. If you don't listen to what's happening around you, how are you going to have an interactive dialogue? And right. you've always been so amazing at at listening and and reacting spontaneously. And not everybody can do that, man. Well, I appreciate that. You know, another thing I learned in Los Angeles is uh, when not to play. And mm, that that's me, great. It, mm. I mean, because I was, I was 21, I think, when I moved out there, kind of an immature player somewhat. Um, and I learned real quick, you know, and I was, I was the type of guy that, you know, there were a couple of bands I played with out there where all the guys were famous uh, side people with, with different guys and, and one of them was a friend of mine he got me a chance to play with this one band out there and it was a like an R&B fusion band and every after every gig I would go up to the guys in the band and go I want to know what what can I how can I be better at this just tell me you know that's and they did you know and that's that's a that helped me tremendously. I learned so much in those couple of years that I played with those couple of bands. You got to have true humility and and uh, uh, you know a true true desire to be open to to feedback um, to to be able to ask the, those questions. And it's sometimes it's scary to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Definitely afraid what what you might hear. But I really believe, and the more. The more years I've gotten, you know, under under my belt, and and um, just the more experiences I've had, and and you know, musical trials, honestly, that, that that I've had, where you you get sort of tested in certain situations to see how how thick your skin is. Um, after a while, I think you start to gain confidence, you know, a little bit more confidence from those things. You, you've been through it. You knew you were, you were able to make it through. Uh, if if stuff ruffles feathers, you know, you just you shake and move on, you know? So, um, so man, I, I really respect you for, for always being such a a pillar of, of humility and, and, you know, always, you know, you could see it in in your attitude. And when you play on stage, I mean, you, you want to, you want to be the best you can be. And, and man, I just, I just want to surround myself with people like that all the time. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Same way. Um, you had a really special and unique role on this, on this album. Um, and I don't, I, I hope you don't take that, that lightly, but um, you played on, you actually, I think you played on three songs. Uh, you played on the truth seeker, which um, both versions of truth seeker, which, which we we've also uh, talked about in Scott Bernard's interview as well, a little bit about the evolution of that song and, are both of those versions on the record? They are not. the the okay. uh, The new arrangement is on the is on the record, um, which you should get in the mail any day. By the way, <laughs> sorry for the delay. No. But um, you played on that, and you played on on the professor, which is uh, both of those are those are the two instrumental tunes on on the record. So those are those are kind of special feature tunes. And then you also did a little bit of percussion work, I believe, on Broken Dreams. Yes, I did. Um, and that was uh, with Sonny Emery on 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 drum kit on on that particular song. So, so you're on there a, a few times, blessing blessing the music. But awesome. the, the professor in in particular is is kind of what I was I was referring to. That that is a song that um, ultimately became a tribute to the late great Neil Peart. And 
his reputation uh, needs no introduction or, or explanation. You know, the the legendary drummer of, of Rush, who we unfortunately lost a year ago. In fact, it's a year ago tomorrow. I just found out. My wife just really? reminded me of that. Wow. So, so you had a pretty big responsibility, uh, you know, filling the the drum chair uh, on that on that song. And man, you're just it's one of my favorite drum performances on the album. I know I've told you that oh, a million times, but that's it's such a it's such an exciting part you played. But can you talk a little about your experience working on that on that tune? Yeah, um, of course. We, you and I talked about this new project, and I knew that it was going to be in the prog rock vein. So I wasn't surprised when I got the track, but, and this is the way I approach, you know, most things, especially difficult things that I get from you from time to time. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even, uh, I, I lived with it for, you know, a couple of days, two or three mm. days. I don't even, I just listen to it. And before I even come out here in the studio, just to, just so, you know, I'm starting to feel it, uh, starting to maybe come up with some ideas, but nothing set in stone. Yeah. But the beginning of that, uh, when your guitar, by the way, I got to say this, two things, your guitar playing on this record is just phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Wow. Your, your vocals, and I'm going to give you what I think is the highest compliment. Oh boy. Vocals, in my opinion, it reminds me a lot of, John Schlitt. Oh my goodness. Wow. Vocalist in Wow. Well, that's man. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I'm deserving of of any of that, but man, that that means a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So back to the professor. You know, there's a lot of uh uh frantic guitar stuff on the intro uh, throughout the song. So, you know, as a drummer, I'm thinking, man, this is gonna be my chance to you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get in on some of that too. But then the more I listened to it, I was like, I need to stay out of the way of that. I need to let that be the focus and not, my drums don't need to get in the way of it. They need to support mm. the rhythms uh, and the odd meters and stuff that's going on. Just stay out of the way and support. And when I listened to the whole song, I did find one little spot towards <laughs> the end. I know the spot you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, where I thought, ah, maybe I'll do something here. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that, I did that. But yeah, that's that's how I approached it. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got, as I've gotten older, I've learned to, my job as a drummer is to support the rest of the song. I mean, unless, I mean, people can always ask you to play more. Yeah. But in general, I don't come out of the gate doing that. I used yeah. to when I was younger, you know, but I, I've learned uh, I'm past that now. So that's kind of how I approached it, you know, just, just kind of supporting what you were already doing. Man, that's it's so awesome hearing that and and fascinating too. And you you bring up an interesting point that um isn't always talked about and and that is uh analyzing and being sensitive to what is complementary as opposed to um similar or emulative. And what I mean by that you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you could have a, um, you could have a super busy bass part, like a super busy bass groove in a, in a tune. And the drummer could take the perspective of, 
man, I'm going to, I'm going to nail these, you know, I'm going to nail the syncopation of it. I'm going to be kind of right there. And, and, and the, and the, the concept or philosophy is one of, we're both as a rhythm section going to embody this, this approach and, and kind of, you know, deliver it accordingly. But what I've kind of learned over the years in, in, um, in composition, just writing songs and analyzing tunes and things, even though that can be really cool and really, you know, out front, um, when you have two parts that are kind of sharing the same space of complexity, uh, what it does is it, it basically starts to diminish the individual power of each part. Now it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not cool anymore, but it's, it doesn't draw as much um, energy from having as compared to having one of the parts be that super intricate thing. And then the other part being more complimentary, taking almost the opposite approach. Yeah. Right. And you know, so the idea is like maybe you have this super syncopated busy bass part, but the drum groove is just, you know, super like just open, open space. You know, yeah. bass is doing like boom, but the drums are like yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed to the drums, like you know, like it, it's the 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 kid in me wants to go crazy, you know, when you hear yeah. something going crazy, but then the the more mature player goes, ah, that is awesome. Let me frame that more. And that's I don't know. People don't talk about that a lot. At least I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. But it's it's that more complementary philosophy. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean. And I haven't always been that way. I, if back in my twenties, I would have been so busy on that track. But I mean, I've just learned that's that's. Uh, and you know, when I when I brought the song in, and I was messing around with some stuff. You know, it took it took probably an hour or two before I came up with something that that I thought complemented the song. Uh, and it just there's so much going on guitar wise and bass wise that it was it was easy for me to feel. I think what needed to be done on that track. And the main thing was just to stay out of the way. So uh, man, the part is, is glorious. Um, one of, one of the things I love about your, your playing is, um, you've got a, a really awesome, uh, approach to the use of ghost notes in your playing. It's, it's like ghost notes at, in general are not like a heavy handed thing. They're ghost notes, but sometimes the, the placement or the dynamics of those ghost notes can can bear can have more gravity than than other times and man you the professor is a perfect tune it's kind of like you you still have this activity that's almost more felt than it is heard I don't know what you're doing you could explain it but I um you're so good with that and it really complements that tune well, I appreciate that you know normally I play traditional grip but on that does that song, help I, that approach do you think uh or is that just a matter of preference well it's a i guess it's a matter of preference but for that song that that was so aggressive i mean from the top i felt like i needed to you get a little more a little bit more meat of the stick into the snare so i turned the stick around and played from the butt end ah played, okay on that track so the ghost notes are going to sound a little different with that grip than they do with my traditional grip. My traditional grip is probably a little lighter. Okay. You know, uh, 
But so yeah, that's what I did. I, I, uh, I actually did that on the, on Truth Seeker as well. Yeah. I appreciate you explaining that because because that yes. that that helps me visualize more uh, what's happening behind the scenes when I'm when I'm listening to that. Um, the other thing that that is amazing about what you do in the studio, and we've we've talked about this before, but I I just want to kind of share this with folks that man the drum sounds you get are ridiculous. They're so good and so easy to deal with in a mix. Um, I know part of it, we've talked about the, the microphones you use, which I'm a huge fan of. I found out in uh, Keith Carlock's interview, that apparently he uses some of those same yeah. microphones, which it explains does. some of the similarities. And I'll let you talk about that. But um, but there's more to there's more to the quality of your tones than just microphones. I mean, what talk about that if you if you don't mind. I mean, sure. I mean, I. About, let's see, three years ago, I had a remote tracking set up uh, at a different location. It was just a little 15 by 15 uh, room inside my wife's video studio down the street. And I got decent tones in there. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the Not of This World uh, track I cut in there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife decided one day she had saved up some money from her video business and she said, let's build you a place behind the house. And long story short, I was going through, you know, I had tonsil cancer back then. I was going through the treatment during the building of this place. And mm-hmm. I don't remember half of it, but I got a fortune. I have a friend of mine, Michael Graham, that kind of gave me some advice uh, on dimensions and ceiling height and, one cool thing he told me to do, which I would never have thought about, was he said, just pick two parallel walls and offset one of them two or three inches. Interesting. Yeah. He said that will cut back on the bouncing, standing audio waves. In so in other words, take two parallel walls and just angle oh, one of them just a few degrees. I yeah, see. either way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the, 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 you know, the audio can just bounce back and forth again. The other thing I did at his suggestion was this building is made completely from concrete blocks. Each one of them has been filled with sand. Wow. Kind of the way they build high school band halls. Okay. So it's not completely soundproof, but it's, it's really, really close. And, you know, when I first got in there, I was worried, you know, I didn't know what it was going to sound like. This is a new building. And the first couple of tracks that I cut, there was a little bit too much room noise in there for my taste. Yeah, so yeah. I, bought, I bought some Arlex. You can see one behind me over here. Yeah, here yeah. Mm-hmm. That I put in front of the kit that kind of just stops some of the room noise from getting back in the mics. Mm-hmm. But that, along with, you know, good drum tuning, um, you know, playing is part of it. I mean, I'm not, you know, patting my self on the back from that but you know um and then the other thing is just the mics i mean these mics i've used a bunch of different mics and this is by far the best set of mics and i'm not using any high dollar preamps you know, yeah the personas board back there but i've never had anybody come back and say man just not digging your sound is just not up to par yeah but i think that's that's basically it Man, that's that's so great. Can you quickly just kind of run through your 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 setup, your basic recording setup? Yeah, I mean, can you kind of see some of it back here? Yeah, right? absolutely. 
Um, now, is that the kit you used on the professor? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. This is a custom kit uh, made by Spawn. It's a hybrid. The shells are hybrid. They're part maple and part acrylic, which is unique. Um, I'm, us I'm using a combination of Earthworks DK7 as their uh, drum mic kit, but I've added some other little tweaks. One big one is I use three mics on my snare. I have uh, an Earthworks on the top, an Earthworks on the bottom, but I have an AKG side-facing condenser just over the, the uh, rim of the top head. Really makes a big difference. Uh, of course, I use a sub kick on, on the kick and then an Earthworks mic in the kick. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. I, I use Studio One and I'm reporting through a Personas Studio Live 32 channel board. Awesome. How are you liking that setup? I love it. I yeah. mean, I love it. It's, this is my man cave here, man. You yeah. Know, I'm always ready to go. This kit is not going anywhere. I'm not going to take this on a gig. It's, it's good to go. Yeah. And I, just, uh, I just upgraded to Studio One version 5. Do you, do you have that yet? I have not done that yet. Looking really good so far. I, I'm, I've been enjoying it. I used it on uh, a couple of remote sessions last week right after installing it. And it was... It was rock solid. So, um, yeah, very, very cool. Um, that's, so that's, that's really cool, man. And I appreciate you, you going through the, the, the specifics. Um, you know, while we're talking, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm hearing your drum tracks in, in my head on, on these tunes from the record. And, you know, another thing I think that's, that's important, especially for, for young drummers or aspiring studio drummers to, to understand is, dynamic consistency with with how you hit and it you know one thing that that's key for me like if i'm mixing a record i don't want the kick drum volume and, and attack to to be constantly varying through the whole song now obviously dynamics are useful dynamics are are, are fine but but when you're listening to a, a backbeat or something and it's like you know every other kick drum isn't quite the same volume as the yes. other and it's it 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 really messes with the the foundational nature of the track, and and you are awesome at um, you're like a human compressor, but in a good way, not in a not in a uh, mechanical way. You just have a very consistent uh, uh, approach to to how you hit the drums, which interestingly enough is is something that I, I notice also that uh, a lot of the the Nashville established session drummers that I've played with in town, they're the same way. It's you, you can tell that somewhere along the lines in their education or development, they understood that in a recording setting, consistency is, is key. Uh, what taught you that? Was that a trial and error thing? Or is that just how you've always played? I don't think it's how I've always played. I think when I really started to do more session stuff, and I listened back to, you know, just my drums, and I, and I could hear inconsistencies. I mean, I, I think that just brought it to my attention where I really started, you know, focusing on not letting that happen, you know, very often. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a technique thing too. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, you got to hit the drums consistently. Of course, there are times where you use dynamics and, and play more off of the drum, like sure. Keith was about the other day, but I mean, you know, it, it, I need to give you a consistent, uh, signal otherwise you're going to be pulling your hair out <laughs> yeah yeah is it do you, do you find that it's um the the remote recording environment it do you 
like it better or worse than like the live sessions we did at uh, at David's studio from a from a um, from a work environment or or just a general enjoyment even of, of it all. Is there one that you prefer over the other? Actually, there there are pros and cons to both. You know, I thought this setup, getting a setup like this for years. I mean, I had a friend of mine, Jermaine Morgan. Yeah. Another fantastically talented musician. Yeah, really talented. He stayed on me for, I don't know, three or four years. He would constantly be saying, dude, you've got to get some kind of, start out small, get some kind of recording setup. But I was intimidated by it because all the other session stuff I'd ever done, there was always an engineer. I didn't have to mess with that. I, so I finally decided one day I went and bought Pro Tools, got a little 16 channel interface and opened up Pro Tools and just sat there and looked at it. <laughs> I had no idea. And I had to call two or three of my buddies over to show me how to route the inputs and outputs and all that. Yeah. And I finally learned how to make Pro Tools do just basically what I needed it to do. Yeah. Um, and so, but to answer your question, you know, I totally love the the spontaneity and the creativity that comes from being in the same room with other people. At the same time, I, I like being able to come in here without people watching me, looking at their watch, and yeah. you know, no pressure any time of the day or night. When I get in the mood to come out here, I can do it. I can take it as, as long as I need. Uh, so there are pros and cons. You know, there have been situations where I've cut a drum track Maybe the track that the artist sent me was nowhere near complete. And then they send me the final. And when I hear the final, I go, if I'd known you were going to do that, I would have done something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only drag about, about it, but I absolutely love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think there's, there's pros and cons to, to both. And, um, it's funny the the perfectionistic side of me that I that I battle with sometimes um, is ends up being my worst enemy. Uh, remote tracking sometimes, if especially if I'm doing my music, you know that that's I can I can go down a rabbit hole that, that just dooms me to a lot of hours of work that maybe was never necessary in the first place. But um, but even you know working for for other people. It took me a while, you know, when, when I started getting paid to do sessions for people in, in my studio, I had to kind of learn how to be a good steward of my time. I, I, I was spending, I was spending so much extra time on the tracks, not that the tracks don't deserve a, a special attention, but you have to, you really have to learn when to kind of stop what, um, and, and sort of evaluate honestly from, from the outside and be able to go, hey, this is a this is a really good take. Let me let let me give the artist the power of deciding whether or not they need something else, uh, without me, you know, trying to take control over every single, you know, aspect and nuance of, of what I play. There's a discipline to that. If you yeah. don't if you don't follow at least some sort of discipline when you're remote tracking, you end up making, um, you know, from a if we just look at it economic perspective, right? You can end up making almost nothing per hour because you spent so much time, uh, you know, running down the hole of something that maybe never even needed to happen. And I, I learned the hard way because 
I remember spending on my, my first remote sessions, spending so much time on a take that I thought was just going to be the cat's meow, boy, the artist is going to love this take. He's going to love this approach. And so I spent extra, extra time, like more time than I ever should have spent only to have the artist go, that's cool, but it's not really what I'm looking for. And, and, you know, here I was boldly going in a direction, like I could get inside their head. I didn't know what they ultimately were hearing. Yeah. And that was a, that was a learning curve for me when I was doing my very first sessions. So, well, that's interesting to bring that up because I watched the Keith Carlock interview and he kind of alluded to the fact that he's, he's kind of experimenting with learning to punch drums. I'm kind of, I'm probably a little bit even further behind than that. So the professor, uh, truth seeker, the one I cut on out of this world are all top to bottom takes, which is, which, which is, is mind blowing for any of you that have heard the, who have heard those songs yet, or who will hear those songs. These performances that Jason's mentioning, these are very challenging and intricate performances. And just, just, I, I, I forget sometimes, cause you've told me that before and I forget, no, these were like one take things that I'm just, I'm just shaking my head going, wow, that's. Well, that's, and, it's, and it, like you said, it causes me more time because I may get halfway through the take and, you know, have to redo it. I'll tell you a funny story about uh, Not of This World, that track. That, and you told me when you sent it to me that this is one of the barn burners on this record. <laughs> Yeah, those are my exact words. <laughs> yeah, and you said there's a solo section at the end over this vamp. And I remember I told you, I said, send it, I'll listen to it, and I'll tell you right quick, I can, this, I'm not the guy for this. But when I heard it, I thought, I can, I can do this. But you put those hits in that vamp at the absolute most uncomfortable place <laughs> that I have ever. So anyway, I didn't, even, I didn't even go in the studio with that track for two weeks. I just listened to it. Wow. This is when I was at my other place, and I finally went in and messed around with it a little bit, got some ideas, and I'll never forget, it was on a Sunday. I told my wife, Ann, I said, this is like at lunchtime, I said, I'm going in the studio, and I'm not coming out until I get <laughs> track. Oh, my goodness. So it took me four and a half hours, and, you know, I would get almost to the end of the solo vamp and, you know, hit a clunker and have to start from the top. Wow. So that's, the, the, that's close, amazing. The, closer I, the closer I would get to the end of that song, the more nervous I was getting, you know, because I was getting closer to the end. But so anyway, it took me four and a half hours. You know, the thing is, you know, what, what we're talking about is, is on, on any level, it's, it's impressive, you know, that, that you would go straight through and, and, uh, and cut it straight through like that. You know, multiple takes or not, the you know the take the ultimate track that's on the record is is you doing that that single take. It's it's amazing, but you know for for younger players today, um, I don't know if if they all realize that. Well, back in the day, that's how it was done. You know, right. they didn't have Pro Tools. It was it was bands going in live together playing the, the entire song from beginning to end. They may play it multiple times, but you know, the, the take that was taken at the end was, was the one that, that they liked the best. And yeah. people, you know, players had to be um, skilled enough and seasoned enough to, to be able to do that. We've almost gotten spoiled 
by these abilities, by, by the ability to do ninja precision like punch ins and and uh, manipulations of our tracks down to the note or even the attack of a note to get it perfect. And although from a technological perspective, it's 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 amazing and it can also sometimes rescue an otherwise amazing take that may have had a clam in it that you just can't live with. You know, I've, I've, I've got nothing wrong with, you know, with, with that. I've, I've done fixes on my stuff left and right before, but, but to, to really kind of get to the heart of the matter and, and, and be honest with yourself, am I, am I consistent enough? Am I skilled enough to be able to get from beginning to end with a take that could pass muster on a master, that is a that is a noble goal to set for yourself if you're a musician. I don't I don't care how old you are, you know that is that's something that that I think is really important, and I think it's um, I think it's worth pursuing. Well, you know, I think even if I was a, a cut and paste whiz uh, on the drums in Studio One, I think I still would approach you know the song as my goal is still I want to get. A, a complete tape because I, you know, I think that's the most natural. I mean, it, uh, it sounds the most natural, um, but you know, it's it's a uh, it puts a lot of a lot of stress on me to do that. But you know, at, at the same time, I need to buckle down and learn how to do it. You know, yeah. I know there are guys out there that chop and cut and, and read, but drums, man. You know, at least the times I've tried to punch. There's so much resonation going on from the yeah. symbols times. If you start chopping and doing a crossfade the wrong way or something, it just it's obvious that something yeah. has been cut off. So that's what makes it difficult. Yeah, there there are some tricks you can definitely do if you need to rescue something. And and um boy, I've 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 pulled off some amazing magic tricks before with you know, for whatever reason, something happened, a track had to be rescued or, or, uh, manipulated or combined with, you know, another take or something. And I've, I've learned how to get around some of that, but the thing that you, you can't necessarily nail is even if, if you decide to go back and recut a verse, let's say the, the exact precise amount of energy that was used yes. in playing that verse five yeah. minutes prior might not be exactly the same as when you lay it down again. And I've, I've been in sessions before where um, players who were, you know, recutting a particular verse section or bridge section, you know, they have to do it multiple times because they're trying to hone in on, on, on emulating the exact same feel they used when it went down the first time. Again, it's not a negative thing. Um, it's, it's the reality of, of how music is, is made, but, um, but yeah, that's the beauty of, of the one take. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Who do you, who do you look up to as, as, as drummers that, or, or who influentially, who, who are the drummers that you feel like really sort of shaped your, your philosophy for, for playing? Um, right off the bat, any drummer who played with uh, James Brown, that was a big one. Uh, the guy that played with Irish White Band, I can't remember his name. Uh, I mean, I, I copped all of those early Irish White Band grooves. There was just something about it, only because, and this is, this is an interesting point, because of the records that my dad had. It's amazing how much influence 
yeah. that had on me. I mean, you know, I, it just, that's all that was there. It was straight up R&B for the most part. And, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of happened with my own son, actually. You know, it, it's, it's funny how that works. My, my musical influences, he's definitely, you know, he's, he's taken after me a little bit on that, but. What a cool, what a cool legacy to be able to to pass on. It's 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 amazing how that how that works. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and I'm I'm happy about that because there's so much bad stuff out there. Yeah. Right now, and and he just he sees it for what it is, and he enjoys great music. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, any James Brown drummers, uh, average white man drummers, uh, you know, Dave Weckl, he was an early influence of mine. Um, you know, I mean, there's tons of them. There's just yeah. tons of them. I was, I was never, I was uh, amazed by Neil. You say Peart, Pert. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I. Some people say Peart, some say Pert. But. You know, I was amazed by that. I mean, I really was. Uh, I never. I think it because of my musical immaturity. I never did latch on to Rush really as a band. I went to see them once. I was in some bands that we played some Rush music. Cool. But, uh, you know, yes, but I never did. I was always more of the, you know, pocket groove. That's that's what I enjoyed listening yeah. to. So any groove pocket drummer out there, they have definitely influenced me for sure. Yeah. Neil contributed so much uh, to the to the drumming world and, you know, even down to the aesthetic of what a rock drum kit oh, yeah. looked like. Yeah. All the way around. You know. I mean, just, you know, part of, part of what excited you so much about seeing him play was the spectacle of, of his setup and just knowing that he was literally going to use every piece of gear that was up there, you know, yep. which was, yep. really that was cool. my yep. wife and I got to see rush in, in Nashville. Um, I guess it was their last tour that, that came through here uh, years back, but um, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that the majority of, of the Rush fan base is male, you know? So, so, you know, her going with me was kind of a big deal um, because it's not, it wasn't one of her favorite bands per se, yeah. but, but I'll tell you, we, we left the show and she was sincerely excited and impressed by what she saw because of the everything, you know, the, the production of it and how they incorporated media and film and, props on stage that, you know, were, were interactive and, and, you know, of course the playing was, was phenomenal. And, and um, it was, it was cool to, to have her there with me. She's a huge music fan, but that wasn't a band that she necessarily gravitated to. Yeah. Like yeah. I did when I was coming up as a, as a bass player, but, um, but we had such a great time and I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. I got to, I got to see them perform, uh, many times in, in my lifetime and you know it, it was so it was so sad when we lost uh when we lost neil but um yeah but you know man my my hope and prayer is that um the the professor when it's released as a as a single or or if it's you know if it's shared amongst other uh, musicians or or fans of of his is that it will have an opportunity you know i really hope it kind of permeates those has a chance for, you know, people from his, his fan base to hear it. And, and because I just want to be able to honor his, his contributions. And, um, I think it will. And I think this whole record, man, is going to blow some people's minds. Well, so. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, uh, 
it's exciting um, just kind of seeing people's reactions so far because it is such a different release from my prior more fusion, you know, yeah. type things. So yeah. it's very cool. I appreciate that. Can you tell us, um, you know, this, this slow down, this season of pandemic and, you know, craziness, it, it's just affected everybody in, in so many different ways. We've talked a lot during this, this time and, and, um, you know, I know you've got an incredible family and, and you guys are all real tight and, um, you know, different folks are kind of experiencing different levels of, of financial hardship, you know, not a, some folks have some things to fall back on, some don't. What's been, you've maintained a positive attitude throughout this whole thing. I mean, what, what's been the source of your, of your positivity and, and, and wherewithal during all of this? Oh man, God would definitely be in there for sure. But my, my family, you know, um, we're, my wife and I are empty nesters now. My son is doing his last two years of pharmacy school in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's been fantastic. I mean, I, I, I love the empty nest syndrome, but you know, for me, I, I own a, uh, I'm a third generation owner of a, a family owned grocery store here in Tupelo. So which is such been, a cool piece of, uh, side trivia about you because yeah. people who hear you play um, are probably assuming that's the only thing you've you've ever done, and it's so cool that you've got this family legacy business that you're a part of as well. Yeah, and you know, I've actually done. First of all, I'm so thankful to be involved with you. I mean, I, you know, uh, listen to you for years. Never to me, if you had told me 10, 15 years ago, dude, you're end up on an Adam Deed record, I would have said you lost your mind. Oh man, lost your mind. So I'm thankful for that, and I totally enjoy making connections. Uh, and I have done. I've made more connections. You know, I lived in Los Angeles for four years, and I saw all I did was play music. I played with you know a bunch of different people. But I've done more high-profile stuff since I've been here, just from right in here. And it's just been fantastic. You know, I, I'm thankful that I have uh, a business that pays the bills and I don't have to stress out about, you know, where am I going to, how am I going to pay my mortgage next month because I haven't had any gigs. But during the pandemic, I've done, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 different tracks for, for different people. That's great. That's yeah, great. which you know, and that's cool. But I, I really enjoy it. You know, I've, I've gotten to work with a lot of people I've never even met. Done a lot of different types and styles of music. And uh, it, when I when I moved when I left California and moved back here, I thought I committed musical suicide. So, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to go out and play Mustang Sally for fifty bucks. That's not. <laughs> that's you know, not I, you. No, it's not me. Yeah, but it's just been amazing, you know. Uh, and if I had not listened to people like Jermaine and my wife and say, "Look, you need to do this and and take this approach to it," you know, the cool thing is I've talked to, I've had in the last week two different young drummers contact me, uh, friends of Isaac, my son, who want to do this, and, wow. and they wanted advice on how to at least get started on this. That's and, uh, so cool. I was completely honest with them. I encouraged them just like I was encouraged. And actually one of them came by my studio the next day after I talked to them, I gave them a tour and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's just, it's the pandemic is awful. Yes. But 
I mean, it's been a fantastic time with my wife and my son when he's here. Been crazy at the store at times. I, will say I that. bet. I can't Early imagine. Early on, it was absolute insanity. Wow. And still, things are not back to normal. I mean, I'm still, yeah. you know, if I order 100 cases, I may get 60. Mm. I mean, it's just, I don't know if and when that the supply level will ever get back to normal. I don't mm. know. But anyway. Wow, that's that's cool. Your your family is so great. Your your wife Anne is she's such a she's such a sweetheart. What I love about Anne is is um it she's like she's your biggest fan. It's so obvious. And she's like a she's like your she's like a giddy hype super fan of yours and it just brings me so much joy cuz she's so proud of you and what you've what you've done and um and I know you guys are, are super tight. You remind us so much of, of me and Stephanie in a lot of ways, in just in terms of the the level of support that that we've gotten throughout the years and, and encouragement. Um, sometimes when you know, probably we're not believing as much in ourselves as as we should. You know, thank thank God we have them to uh, to help kind of fan the flames. Yeah. But um, and then your son. She can. She did so many gigs with me out in California. She can set this up and tear it down just as fast as I can. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you just reminded me. Uh, Anne is the first person to um, hoist gear into the into the venue. I'm just I remember her running by me one one day or one night at a gig, and you know, like doing a marathon. And she's got the whole stage almost set up, and we're just still schlepping. Uh, <laughs> That's her. That's her. That's that is totally her. And then your son Isaac, who is incredibly talented. Um, I'm, you shared you shared that. Uh, I can't forgive me. I can't remember the name of the song, but the and what an incredible what an incredible uh, talent he is. And obviously the what's the saying doesn't fall far uh, fall far from the tree, right? It you know. Yeah. It's, uh, You've obviously been a huge influence on him, and um, yeah, man, the 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 ironic positive nature of of the pandemic, some of the you know some of the things that have that have come from that. It's that's been a that's been a uh, a topic, a popular topic in these interviews. You know, just kind of being able to look at the positive and have you know how some things have happened that would not have happened if not for. Uh, the, you know, this slowdown, namely for me, this album would not be done. This was, this was finally my chance to have an uninterrupted huge amount of time to finally get it all done. And I, I worked so hard and, you know, I tried to be really focused and, and be responsible. Um, at the beginning, I was just kind of bummed out. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, all my touring is, is gone. Uh, my main source of income is gone and it's still the case, but, um, but somehow, you know, we've we've made it through with the with the financial side of it, and thank God for that. And um, it's allowed me to to learn new things, finish this record. Um, I mentioned in another interview. I started software developer school. Um, now it's been I'm in my seventh or eighth week of that, which has oh, been cool. yeah, it's so challenging and so fun. And I did it as as a as a uh, basically a, a preemptive backup plan. If, you know, God forbid, I did have to do some serious augmenting of, of my, of my income source, it, you know, from something else. 
because let's face it, you know, none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know if we don't know right. when games are going to start up again, especially <laughs> let alone like regular frequency, like it, like it was. So, um, so I know, I know you're grateful for your ability to kind of have that stuff covered and, and uh, other players who have something, you know, anything like that in, in place that's, that's on the side is, is so, so yeah. valuable right now. Yeah. And you're right. This pandemic has definitely caused or brought some things to the surface that have been positive, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in my life at the store. Um, and I never would have thought that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Jason, what is the, the best way that, that people can get in touch with you if they want to hire you to play on, on their projects? Um, is, how, and I'll share it on, in the video, um, in the, the bottom of the video as well. But can you just tell us how to get in touch? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Jason Palmer. I mean, I can tell you my email address if you, if you would like. You can put that up there. Sure, it's, if you're okay with sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Palmer, like my last name, P-A-L-M-E-R, 4366 at comcast.net. Okay, great. Yeah, either one of those ways. Awesome, man. And like I said, we'll we'll, we'll put that info on here for everybody. Okay. Um, anything else that, that you would like to share that um, any inspired wisdom or any projects that, that you're a part of that are coming down the pike? Anything you want to mention? Two, two things. Yeah, two things. First of all, thank you so much for involving me on this project. Wow. Thank you for being a part of it. Yeah, because your your pool of world class drummers is massive, so I appreciate the, the you know responsibility that you put on me to, to give. Well, you you're you're right there in the deep end yourself, man. So so thank you for sharing your gifts and talents. Yeah, and the other thing is, everybody go get this record, man. <laughs> I promise I didn't tell him to say that. Uh, no, thank you. Not. Yeah, yeah, he did not. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's an else? exciting time for for sure. I could do a magic trick or something if you want me to. Oh, will you? No, no I'm kidding. I don't hey, have I don't for have real. Magic. Jason does amazing magic tricks, and he's entertained us at many um, at many sound checks before with his magic yeah. tricks that are like legit. I should have brought something, but I don't. I don't have yeah. Anything. All right. Well, it's just another reason to we'll, we'll connect again in this way. Yeah. For sure. yeah. But um, Jason Palmer, thank you so much, um, man. Love you and your family. Thank you for being a part of this, this project and the past projects. Um, everybody, please check out Jason, get in touch with him, hire him, put him on your music. You will not regret it. Uh, can't say enough about him. And, um, and, you know, thanks for being a friend and such a humble inspiration as, as well to, to everybody that you come into contact with. I appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, you have a uh, wonderful evening and we'll see the rest of you online. Okay. See you.